I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Big things happened this week. Back on Monday was the Feast of St. Jerome, and on that day, there was a new motu proprio that was released by Pope Francis called Aperuit Ilis, which establishes a new day in our liturgical calendar. Now, then, that doesn't mean that we have 367 days on leap year. No, rather, we have a focus day where liturgically we celebrate and focus on and explore the Word of God. Now, contrary to popular opinion, Catholics focus on Scripture every day. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you Catholics don't know your Scripture. Uh, Someone once said that we Catholics, we might not know the chapter and the verse and where to find it, but if we take the time and we participate in the liturgy, we go to daily Mass, we go to, uh, even if we just go to Sunday Masses, we're going to be familiar with the ebbs and the flows of Scripture and the, the contours of Scripture because we have so much of Scripture within our liturgy. Not only do we have the, the readings, you know, the Old Testament and the Epistle and the Gospel, but we also, all throughout our responses in the liturgies, we have these passages of Scripture that we, that we quote, that we um, recite as part of that prayer of the Mass. So, yes, Catholics, don't let someone tell you that you don't know Scripture. Uh, it's kind of like the kid who comes home and says, well, I'm not good at anything because everyone at school tells me I'm not good at anything. Well, no, you, you take the kid aside and you start to tell them the things that they are good at and you help them see that. And so I want you to do that to yourself. Go look in the mirror and say, I, I do know Scripture. I recognize the, the Word of God as it comes to me in the Mass, and I am good at this, and I'm going to spend more time with it, right? Uh, I think we get in this idea that, well, I, I don't know chapter and verse, and I can't quote it like these other people, so I don't know it all that well, and so it's intimidating. But don't be intimidated by the Word of God. Uh, even if you just start with the readings for the day, pick up a subscription to the Magnificat, uh, or I go to usccb.org, take the the five or ten minutes a day that it takes to read through the day's mass readings and just get a sense for the contours of Scripture. And when you do it that way, when you do it with the readings of the day, it gives you something a little bit extra because the church has provided for us um, a lot of the cross-referencing, right? As we open up the Scriptures of the day, they have placed together readings from the Psalms and from the uh, the epistles and the Old Testament and the Gospels that reference each other, that that have uh, reflections of one another in the Scripture. And so you'll get a sense of uh, the typology as you see Isaiah and the Gospels married uh, together and the themes married together as that theme of that Mass uh, is carried out throughout the entire uh, thread of the scriptures given to us at that mass. So I want to encourage you, you are good at the word of God. You you recognize it and you know it. And so don't be intimidated to take these little steps to begin engaging with scripture more and more. So we have this new motu proprio that, that is giving us this new day. And so now we have the third Sunday in ordinary time 
which is to be devoted to the celebration, study, and dissemination of the Word of God. This Sunday of the Word of God, Pope Francis says, will thus be a fitting part of that time of the year when we are encouraged to strengthen our bonds with the Jewish people and to pray for Christian unity. This is more than a temporal coincidence. The celebration of the Sunday of the Word of God has ecumenical value since the Scriptures point out, for those who listen, the path to authentic and firm unity. He goes on to point out a story out of the book of Nehemiah that we'll be reading at the end of the show today. Uh, And from that, he says this, uh, these words contain a great teaching. The Bible cannot just be the heritage of some, much less a collection of books for the benefit of a privileged few. It belongs above all to those called to hear its message and to recognize themselves in its words. At times, there can be a tendency to monopolize the sacred text by restricting it to certain circles or select groups. It cannot be that way. The Bible is the book of the Lord's people, who, in listening to it, move from dispersion and division towards unity. The Word of God unites believers and makes them one people. So he goes on, and it's worth the time. You can find it there at the Vatican website, uh, Vatican.va, and uh, again, it's called Aperuit Elis. Now, uh, here he brings up a couple of things that we're going to focus on today. One of them, we're going to read that story from Nehemiah. We're going to spend some time with St. Jerome at the end of the show, who uh, this was released on his feast day. He's famous for saying, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. We're going to spend a little bit of time with, uh, with the document that that came out of. Uh, So get the wider context of that quote. But the main portion of the show, our interview today, is going to explore this idea that Pope Francis mentions here in the the Motu Proprio, that we come to recognize ourselves in the words of Scripture. We're talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, He's got a book that will be coming out in November called A God Who Questions, And he takes this idea seriously that we can read Scripture and place ourselves there in the center of it, recognize ourselves as being the recipient of the conversations that are going on inside it. So he specifically is looking at the questions that Jesus asks that seem a little bit unexpected. And he takes those questions seriously and he says, okay, well, I want to imagine what it would be like if I were the person that God was asking those questions. And it opened up an opportunity for him to do some really deep reflections that he's going to share with us and give us the impetus to be able to ask that same question. How would I respond if Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God made man, asked me these very piercing personal questions? It's a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. So don't go anywhere. Uh, But do visit us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll read right back with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
And uh, earlier this week, we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, on uh, on Monday, the Feast of St. Jerome, the, the Pope put out a new motu proprio that establishes a day, uh, the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, where we specifically focus on and promote uh, Scripture, the, the Holy Word of God. And so th- this is uh, a really... I think fortuitous that the Pope did this because I already had this interview scheduled <laughs> today. I was, you know, I know he's reading my mail because uh, he, he often will do things that just speak right to me. And he did this time uh, and helped us prepare for this interview is today we talk with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. Uh, he's the director of undergraduate studies at the McGrath Institute for Church Life. Uh, great place. If you just, if you've not yet had the opportunity to look into the work, you need to go over to mcgrath.nd.edu. Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame is putting out some fantastic stuff and specifically doing it for the purpose of equipping the church. So there are all kinds of resources, all kinds of thought projects for you to get in and engage with theology and with the Word of God through the work of Notre Dame. Uh, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo, thank you for joining us again today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So you got a new book. It's coming out. It's not out yet, but it is available for pre-order uh, on our Sunday Visitor. It's called The God Who Questions. And if if the book were not incentive enough, you're giving away uh, this incredible, I mean, just amazing illuminated volume of Scripture of, uh, is it Luke and Acts or all the Gospels and Acts? It's all the Gospels and Acts. So yeah, um, in association with this book, A God Who Questions, we decided to do a little pre-order giveaway. And for anybody who's familiar with the St. John's Illuminated Bible, which is just a beautiful piece of artwork that really presents the stunning dimensions of Scripture in a brand new way, uh, we thought we'd give away one of the the copies of the volume uh, of the Gospels and Acts, which I have found really changes the way in which I engage Scripture. I've worked with this this volume a lot and all the volumes of the St. John's Bible. So, So yeah, for anybody who orders by November 14th, um, they can send an email and um, they get entered into the into the drawing for that. So information about that's on my website, LeonardJDLorenzo.com. And I have to say, you know, it, sometimes you look at these raffles or things like that. It's like, well, I'm putting I'm putting in the money and the, what are the chances that I'm actually going to win? But mm-hmm. here's the deal. No matter what, whether you win this amazing volume <laughs> of illustrated scripture or not, you're going to win because you're going to get a copy of this new book. Oh, that's a God nice. who questions. That's nice of uh, you to say. Thanks. So I, I've had just a little bit of time to interact with it. And yeah. one of the things that struck me is, um, well, well, we'll get to the, the New Testament here in a second, but okay. uh, you've got the term there. It says a God who questions, and, and it brings up this passage of scripture. Um, well, m- multiple times throughout scripture where you hear, is there anyone like our God? And then they go on and they talk about all of the things that the God of Israel has done. Is there anyone who has done these things for his people like our God has done? And you have this all throughout Scripture. In your, um, in your introduction to the book, you talk about right at the very beginning, right after the fall, the very first thing that God does is not accusation. It's not confusion. It's a question that pierces to the heart of, of the person. It's a personal question. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Yeah. And, and I love one of the things that you say there is the only thing that needs to be done is to answer and that God does the rest. God's the one 
responsible now for finding and for uh, restoring. All they had to do was say, uh, present, I'm over here. <laughs> and, and, and he does the rest. So I want to look at this uh, just at the very beginning before we get to the main premise of the book, which is the questions of Jesus. Yeah. Here, all the way in the Old Testament, we have this uh, delineation between um, the gods of the nations around them and the God of Israel who engages with his people in a different way. So let's just talk about what is a question and what is the purpose of our God in his questioning? That's a really full question. So let's get to it. Um, no, I, I love that you point out um, that first question in the book of Genesis in chapter three. So right after the fall, um, Adam and Eve cover up their most intimate parts. They were transparent to each other. They were available and present to God. They encountered God and walked with God. And now they've covered over their intimate parts and they hide behind trees. The things that God has given them and made, they have made into their own defenses. And so I think one of the most significant ways in which we need to read that fall narrative is about all of the ways in which we hide ourselves from God and from one another, that we run away from genuine encounter, from being fully present, from wanting to be seen. And the first thing that God does, well, if you can say this, it's just brilliant because it's, it's exactly, it's cutting exactly to the heart of the problem. It says, where are you? He wants them to start to come out to be seen, to be available for encounter again, because that's the real devastation that's occurred. They're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God and they're hiding from themselves. You know, in terms of thinking of Israel's relationship with God, who comes to them and gives over his own name, that name that he gives over is, I am who I am. I'm here. But it's also, I will be what I will be. In other words, watch what I do and you will know who I am. And you will be able to say my name by your encounter with me through these experiences with me. And I think that is the invitation that never goes away. Even the name Israel, which Jacob receives, means to struggle with God. It means to be in it, right? Like to be present and to encounter God and be encountered and be uh, sometimes roughed up by that encounter and sometimes, <laughs> you know, liberated and straightened out by the encounter. But it doesn't mean hiding and it doesn't mean being passive. It means kind of being there, all of you. So I think we hear that from that very first question, where are you? It sort of means step forward. Let me see you and let's let's do this. So Dr. DeLorenzo, in uh, in the nations around them, and as we look at uh, the mythologies from mm -hmm. nations all around, normally uh, a, a god is someone who is so far above and superior and and must be placated. Uh, and so here we think of um, almost a, a dictator, that one who who tells and who gives commands and who makes demands. Mm -hmm. And here at the very beginning, the God of Israel is saying, I have a question for you. Come and engage with me. Yeah. Uh, and, and not simply a list of demands. No, that's really right. And, you know, even maybe one of the most prevalent creation myths with which the Israelites reckoned in their time was that of the Babylonians, the Enuma Elish. And in that, it says that the reason in which human beings were created by the gods was to serve the gods' needs. In other words, what does that mean about human beings? We're slaves of the gods to serve their needs. But the God of Israel, um, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ is the one who creates us out of love and engages with us, not so 
he can receive something for his own benefit, but so that we may have life and have it in its fullness. And so that really, from the beginning, I think, separates Israel from the surrounding nations, as you're mentioning, that this isn't the God who's a tyrant and a dictator and self-serving. This is the God who gives freely for no reason other than he has chosen to love and to give and to create what does not yet exist and to, to confer upon it life abundantly. So to take these questions of God seriously, the question of God seriously, where are you, means to respond to that sacred call that's part of what it means to be human, that our sacred call is to receive life, to receive it abundantly, and to do that by reckoning with God, by encountering God. And all of this is still part of our our patrimony. This is something Mm -hmm. that we have inherited because uh, we're still in that line. We still serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Mm -hmm. but now he has been more fully revealed uh, and completely revealed in the person of of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so now we have not only these questions of of God that were written down in inspiration through the the authors of the Old Testament. Now we have the the vocal cords of God Himself coming uh-huh. to us and and voicing these questions. So you've taken in the New Testament a number of these questions that Jesus asks at at really interesting times that maybe seem a little bit out of place. And you've, you've presented them to us. And I want to start before we even engage with the questions themselves mm-hmm. with uh, addressing the, the caricature that we often read in scripture, right? So we see Jesus, we read these stories and we're very, we're removed from them. And we think of uh, uh, almost like uh, this person, uh, you, we read the question and we read the answer and we're like, well, gosh, Nicodemus just didn't get it. Or, or <laughs> these apostles, man, they were completely... Uh, way off in left field. How could yeah. they possibly uh, misread these questions? And so that does a couple of things, I think. One is it allows us to um, uh, to really put the questions at arm's length because we can look at it through the, this uh, cartoonish picture that we've uh, created, a cartoon hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that really gives us that buffer like the trees you talked about in the Old Testament that we can hide behind the cartoonishness that we uh, perceive it in rather than saying, how am I like the, the, the disciples of John the Baptist when they approach Christ? Yeah. How, am, how am I like Nicodemus and how are my same weaknesses and questions and uncertainties really communicated in this story? Mm-hmm. And in that place, now I have to treat the question as if it's real and I have to allow Christ to ask me not just that surface question, but the one that gets past what I think I need all the way down to the very core of who I am, just like there in the garden with yeah. the question, where are you? And realize that I myself am hiding as well. That's right. Yeah. No, and, and you were bringing up at the beginning, you know, here at on the feast of, of St. Jerome, uh, who's famous, among other things, for saying that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. But our ignorance often blinds us and our ignorance is often a form of our hiding. We're ignorant of oftentimes the ways in which we try to set the terms of our encounters and especially even our encounter with God. And part of what I think these questions of Jesus on earth time and again is they unearth our own hidden tendencies and our own private agendas and our own ways of not really being present. And when it seems like 
Jesus's question are going a little bit off of the plane of the situation. Like one thing's going on and his question seems to be just a little bit off kilter. It's like about something else, or it seems like the obvious thing to ask. We ought to stumble and really sit with that question. Like why that question? Not just to the person there, but how do I hear this question here? And what's it really digging up? Um, I think the ignorance of scripture there is being assaulted, that our ignorance of scripture is going to be pierced by a question that makes us reveal and come face to face with the baggage that we're carrying to this encounter in the first place. And Jesus is doing nothing if not trying to strip us of our baggage so that we can stand there before him and he can stand before us and be really present to each other. Then the discourse, the dialogue can really begin. We're talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo from the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Find out more about their work at mcgrath.nd.edu. Today we're talking about his forthcoming book, A God Who Questions, which will be available on our Sunday Visitor Press, osv.com. When we come back, we're going to delve into some of those questions that Jesus asked in the New Testament and look at how he also is asking those questions of us. Join us over on social media via part of the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're engaging with Christ a little bit through the scriptures, through Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo's new book, A God Who Questions, going to be available soon on our Sunday Visitor Press. You can pre-order it now, and if you pre-order it before November 14th, you get in, uh, in not enrolled, uh, signed up. Uh, for a drawing of the St. John's Illuminated Bible, uh, the Gospels and Acts edition. Uh, you can find a link to that sign up over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. Dr. DeLorenzo, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. So let's talk about these questions specifically okay. uh, of Jesus. And um, the one that just leaps to my mind, because you talk about what happens if there's a question that maybe is just a little bit off, Sometimes the question is absolutely on point, but seems kind of rhetorical. Uh-huh. And, the, and the one I'm thinking of specifically was the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda, which was a place that you would go and the angel would stir the waters and the first person who got in the water would get healed. It was kind of, uh, it was a pilgrimage site for those mm-hmm. who kind of like a, a Fatima for us today. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so here they were, they, he, he was there uh, lame and wanting to be in this place where healing occurred. And Jesus asks the question that kind of seems like, are you paying attention, Jesus? I mean, you, you, you know, you know where we are, right? Jesus looks at the man and says, do you want to be healed? Yeah. It seems um, kind of obvious. So break it down to us. Why is this not only not obvious, but maybe a little bit subversive to what the expectation was? I think you know, to put it even more strongly, this is an, it seems like an absurd question. So this particular man, it's been told to us, this is in John chapter five, 
has been lying there next to the pool for 38 years. He had, he's just been there waiting, right? And can we imagine what kind of person wouldn't want to be healed, who can't move, who's suffering in this way? Well, let's think about that a little bit more, in other words. Like, maybe someone who has become attached to their own sickness become attached to their own sickness, doesn't want to be healed. Or maybe somebody who prefers their own way to a better way, or somebody who refuses help because they want to do things for themselves on their own terms. Now, we might be able to imagine some other reasons beside those, but if we, if we think about those, at least as I do, I can start vaguely to recognize a little bit of myself in some of those things. Now, I'm not saying that's what this man's deal was, mm-hmm. because he does respond that he wants to be healed. And I'm kind of astounded at this man. I think about those 38 years. I happen to be 38 years old. When I wrote the reflection on this, I was just a little bit shy of my 38th birthday. Um, And for every breathing moment of my life, it still at that point hadn't equaled the amount of time that man had been laying there in his suffering. And I can think about or just sort of imagine all of the opportunities for despair, for hopelessness, for bitterness, for unreadiness that came in waves over those 38 years. And maybe he did succumb to them time or time, sometime or another. But when the time came and the question was asked, do you want to be healed? The most important question he likely received his entire life. He said, yes, I want to be healed. And then the Lord healed him. So it strikes me that it's not just important that we're suffering and we're sick to the Lord. That's important for sure. But there's also something else going on here. It matters that we're willing to be healed. It matters that we're willing to be touched and uh, eased by the approach of the Lord. It's not any kind of takeover. It's not just something done for us. It's something done with us, and it matters to Jesus how we respond to that question. That's the kind of question when I, when I sit with it that stirs up a little bit more of an examination of conscience for me than might have been there the first time I passed by this question in scripture or even the second or the 10th time I passed by it. But when I slowed down and really let it sink in and thought about, gosh, how strange that question is, um, it did something different to me. You might be able to tell me that I'm right or wrong, or we might both be you know, just hearing this on hearsay. Uh, but I, I've heard that in uh, where this pool was is just around the corner from where um, St. Jehoiakim and St. Anne's house was believed to be. Oh. And so uh, I, I look at that, and if that's true, I just I picture Christ having passed this place a number of times as he goes mm-hmm. to see his family and perhaps having seen this person there for the entirety of his life waiting for, for this moment. Hmm. And, and I think about all of the times that, um, that we get right up to the, the pool, the place of our hmm. healing and say, I, I, I'm ready to go this far, but any further, either I need help that I can't find or I'm not willing to accept, or maybe I just don't think that I'm able or worthy or anything else. And to look at ourselves in his place and say, you know, what is keeping me from entering into the pool of God's mercy that would bring healing? 
Yeah. Than to look- in his case, it's to be, it's for somebody to put him in. Right. Somebody has to carry him and put him in. Yeah. Um, and when the opportunity comes, he says yes. But I also think, you know, this also reminds me, I didn't comment on this and the reflection on this in the book, but of um, Lazarus and the rich man. Mm-hmm. So just the way that you were describing that, that maybe this is a place that Jesus had passed quite often and seen this man before. Um, the the thing with the rich, the unnamed rich man is he passed Lazarus not once or twice, but every day. Yeah. And over time had come to be completely blind to this man's need to the point that you, I think you have to imagine that at first he saw it and neglected it and saw it and neglected it. And over time, he just, his habitual neglect led to a form of blindness. But what we see from God from the beginning, and it's personally present in the person of Jesus, is that he attends to suffering and responds. Mm -hmm. And in this case, that parable of Lazarus and the rich man, it is a preaching, it's a word of preaching that Jesus preaches, but it is indeed something he has already himself done. Mm -hmm. He's not saying, don't be the rich man, do something else as if it's just something he's teaching. Mm -hmm. He's actually already embodied that mercy that he's um, that he is warning not to avoid, like he's already done it. And I think we see that here um, because he draws near and addresses this man in such a personal and important way mm-hmm. to ask him for his will to be healed. Yeah. And Dr. DeLorenzo, you say in the beginning of this book that you didn't really have an agenda going out. You, you mm-hmm. don't have a thesis for these things. You just began to engage with the questions uh, and right. So there's there's no specific order. They can be read in any order. But since there was no specific uh, thesis or agenda at the beginning, that means that you were coming to these questions, looking for these questions and engaging with them as you found them. So I want to ask, what was the most surprising question and surprising reflection that you came across in this process of looking at these questions? Because a lot of times we look at a question uh-huh. and we have the the sense of what we think it is ahead of time. What was the one that jumped out and it's like, oh, this is not what I expected? Yeah. Gosh, I'll tell you, um, I'd have to say this is, I think this is like chapter 16. Why are you anxious about clothing? So remember this, this comes from, uh, Matthew chapter six. Um, basically Jesus teaching his disciples not to be anxious, right? Like don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Set your heart in the kingdom first and all these other things will be given to you besides. But one of the things that occurred to me in reflecting on that is I started to think about and connect this to St. Peter and Jesus telling him on the seashore that when he is older, he will be clothed in what he doesn't want to wear and he will be led where he doesn't want to go. And I remembered that he's one of the ones who would have heard this word about don't be anxious about clothing. And so I put those two scenes together and I thought about what that means for Peter to hear that latter word where it seems like the absolute recipe for anxiety, right? (laughs) To fear a day that you cannot see, to fear the loss of control, to be told in advance that you'll suffer at somebody else's hands. And so this thing about not being anxious about clothing, which seems to me like I would have something like a ready-made reflection on that 
I had to abandon that ready-made reflection when I was encountered with this other scene of Peter being wrapped in somebody else's cloak. Mm -hmm. Um, And that changed both sets of, uh, or both passages for me. Not definitively, like here's the only way that they can ever be read. But in reading it this way, there was just resonance in both places that wasn't there before. So that's one that was really, really surprising to me. I had this, um, this revelation myself as we were going through a difficult time in our family. And you, mm. we, you, you know, you claim those beliefs that, um, well, you know, I, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And, and then I started looking at the lives of the saints and saying, he didn't love <laughs> them any less than he loves me. Mm. Why, why would I expect that he would treat me any differently? And the recognition that, um, it wasn't so much that I was wrong and God wasn't good, but so much so that my definition that I had held of what God's goodness meant may just be incorrect. That mm. it, it could be that God's going to allow me to suffer as the saint suffered and he's still good. So there has yeah. to be some different, um, uh, different way to view the question, different way to view the, the, what God's concern looks like and what his ultimate concern is. And yeah. And it may not be my life or my health or my my ability to um, to to pay for bills or whatever else is needed. Right? Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, he even, and this is one of the another one of the questions I attend to is in the encounter with the rich young man who comes up to Jesus and calls him good, good teacher. Jesus's question back to him is, "Why do you call me good?" So, on your point there, right? Like my understanding of goodness, what I think goodness would be, um, with that question, "Why do you call me good?" that presumption of goodness is itself being called into question. It's not that Jesus is saying I'm not good, but he's actually calling out the man's understanding, preset understanding of good. Right. You know, I was just reading uh, last night, I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my two younger boys, and we're in the magician's nephew, and the task at the end for Diggory, the main character, is by Aslan to go off into uh, the distant country and to get a piece of fruit to bring back to Aslan. And when he's there, he's told by the witch that that fruit would heal his ailing mother. And Diggory is struck with this temptation to do what he would have before then always thought was the right and best and good thing, to do whatever he could to heal his mother. But in fact, at a deeper level, and he sees through this, he knows that the the right and good thing to do is to trust Aslan, to bring this fruit back to him, come what may. Yeah. And my two boys got that. They said, I trust, because I we stopped here and I questioned about it. I said, what would you do? They said, I'll trust Aslan. I, I'll ask him if I can bring it to my mother, but I'm trust, I'll trust Aslan. Yeah. And I think for those young boys, like the question of what is good had been redefined by the encounter with Aslan, who of course has in that country a name that is different than the name he has in ours. We've been talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo, author of the new book coming out soon on Our Sunday Visitor entitled A God Who Questions. You can pre-order it right now by going to leonardjdelorenzo.com. When we come back, we're going to spend a little bit of time with St. Jerome as we explore our readings from Scripture and from church history. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we had the great privilege of talking with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo from the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I really encourage you to take a look at their work, mcgrath.nd.edu. And we talked about his forthcoming book, A God Who Questions, which will be available coming out in November from our Sunday Visitor Press. Uh, You can pre-order that book now and be signed up for a drawing of the St. John's Illuminated Bible, the the Gospels and Acts edition. It is a stunningly beautiful volume, and it's, you know, it's well worth pre-ordering because you're going to want this book anyway. You might as well go ahead and do it now and get signed up for that drawing. You can find out more about that pre-order giveaway by going to leonardjdelorenzo.com. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived right over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always, there's an extra segment with our guest today, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo, available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon supporters keep us on the air and really just, it's a fantastic community. I'm so thankful for each of them. And I would love to have you in their numbers. For as little as $5 a month, you get extra segments each and every week as we explore the topic a little bit deeper with our guests. A couple of extra questions in gratitude for all their support. If you want to join their numbers, all you have to do is while you're there looking at the archives, finding the episode to share on your social media this week with your friends, up in the right-hand corner of the top of the page, outsidethewalls.com, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. You click that link and you will find all the extra segments, including a few that are open to the public, so you can get a sense for what those are like each and every week. Well, now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture today comes from a couple of days ago in the daily Mass readings. Uh, It's also mentioned in the Motu Proprio that we talked about in the first segment. It comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, and the context of this is that the whole people of Israel were coming out of captivity and they were returning to Israel and Nehemiah was uh, bringing them back into the city of Jerusalem. All the walls were torn down and this is uh, him reintroducing them to the word of God. The whole people gathered as one in the open space before the water gate and they called upon Ezra the scribe to bring forth the book of the law of Moses which the Lord prescribed for Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, therefore, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and those children old enough to understand. Standing at one end of the open place that was before the water gate, he read out of the book from daybreak until midday, in the presence of the men, the women, and those children old enough to understand. And all the people listened attentively, the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. He opened the scroll so that all the people might see it, for he was standing higher up than any of the people. And as he opened it up, all the people rose. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people, their hands raised high, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed low and prostrated themselves before the Lord, their faces to the ground. As the people remained in their places, Ezra read plainly 
from the book of the law of God, interpreting it so that all could understand what was read. Then Nehemiah, that is his excellency, and Ezra the priest scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to all the people, Today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not be sad and do not weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. He said, Go eat rich foods and drink sweet drinks and allot portions to those who had nothing prepared, for today is holy to our Lord. Do not be saddened this day, for rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Hush, for today is holy, and you must not be saddened. Then all the people went to eat and drink and to distribute portions and to celebrate with great joy, for they understood the words that had been expounded to them. That reading comes from the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. And here is a people who are so hungry for the word of God that they sit for hours from the morning until midday. It's a little bit of a challenge for us uh, who we notice when Mass goes uh, over an hour. That homily went a little long, Father, we might say. But here there is such a value on what they had been deprived of. They'd been in exile and they'd not heard the word of God. And, and so here they recognize that in the scripture, they come to understand and to meet and to, to know God more fully. So I encourage you, take the time to listen to the words of scripture. Take the time at mass to really focus attentively, as the people did here in the book of Nehemiah, to the words that are given to you through scripture, because they are These words of God are truth and life. Our reading from church history today comes from St. Jerome, uh, whose feast day we just celebrated on the 30th of September. And this comes from the prologue of his commentary on the book of Isaiah. I interpret as I should, following the command of Christ, search the scriptures and seek and you shall find. Christ will not say to me what he said to the Jews, You erred, not knowing the Scriptures and not knowing the power of God. For if, as Paul says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and if the man who does not know Scripture does not know the power and wisdom of God, then ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Therefore, I will imitate the head of a household who brings out of his storehouse things both new and old, and says to his spouse in the Song of Songs, I have kept for you things new and old, my beloved. In this way, permit me to explain Isaiah, showing that he was not only a prophet, but an evangelist and an apostle as well. For he says about himself and the other evangelist, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, of those who announce peace. And God speaks to him as if he were an apostle. Whom shall I send? Who will go to my people? And he answers, Here I am. Send me. No one should think that I mean to explain the entire subject matter of this great book of Scripture in one brief sermon, since it contains all the mysteries of the Lord. It prophesies that Emmanuel is to be born of a virgin and accomplish marvelous works and signs. It predicts his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead as the Savior of all men. 
I need say nothing about the natural sciences, ethics, and logic. Whatever is proper to Holy Scripture, whatever can be expressed in human language and understood by the human mind, is contained in the book of Isaiah. Of these mysteries, the author himself testifies when he writes, You will be given a vision of all things, like the words in a sealed scroll. When they give the writings to a wise man, they will say, Read this. And he will reply, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when the scroll is given to an uneducated man and he is told, Read this, he will reply, I do not know how to read. Should this argument appear weak to anyone, let him listen to the apostle. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others interpret. If, however, a revelation should come to one of those who are seated there, let the first one be quiet. How can they be silent since it depends on the Spirit who speaks through his prophets whether they remain silent or speak? If they understood what they were saying, all things would be full of wisdom and knowledge. But it was not the air vibrating with the human voice that reached their ears, but rather it was God speaking within the soul of the prophets. Just as another prophet says, it is an angel who spoke in me, and again, crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father, I shall listen to what the Lord God says within me. That reading comes from St. Jerome and from his the prologue to his commentary on the book of Isaiah. There's a couple of things that are worth bringing out here. One is that he talks about Isaiah, the book of Isaiah here in the Old Testament, the prophet, as containing all the mysteries of the Lord. And so here he's looking at the Old Testament through the eyes of what has been revealed to him in the New Testament through Christ Jesus. Uh, it's that, that famous saying that the Old Testament is revealed in the New, and the New Testament is hidden in the Old. There was a large faction at the beginning, and really it's, it's perpetuated even till today, of people who want to get rid of the Old Testament and only pay attention to the writings which became and, and are for us now the New Testament. And even Paul himself uh, addressed this in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, where, where he says, you've known from infancy, he's talking to Timothy, you've known from infancy the Scriptures uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, what's the Scripture that Timothy would have known from infancy? It's these writings of the Old Testament. And all Scripture reveals Christ to us. So mark the third Sunday of Ordinary Time on your calendar and get ready to celebrate sacred scripture. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Kerry Carlson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.